I'd like for you to turn once again to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Now, our subject is the challenge of separation. And as I've already said, separation is not a giddy subject. It's not one that everybody likes to hear about all the time because at some point in the message of separation, after you have defined what it is, and then you begin to explain what was meant by it and how it operates in our life, it, it makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. When we're called to separate from things that we shouldn't be a part of, we feel so unloving. We feel like our message is so legalistic or so confining and that we're not able to express genuine love and Christianity to people because we have to withdraw from things. It happens all the time, and I don't know how many people who have heard through the years what it means to be separate have really practiced it. I know they've heard it. They might have tried it, might have gotten persecuted for it, but Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12, and Moses said unto the Lord, See, you say unto me, bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. For wherein shall it be known that I and my people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not, in verse 16, is it not thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the peoples on the face of the earth? Separated. God's presence with us it's a compelling presence, to say the least. The effect for those with whom God is dwelling, it's a compelling situation. It's something that leads you into living differently than you ever have, this divine influence. When you realize that God has put his nature in you, that you can partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world, Second Peter 1. You realize that you can do that, yet not everybody does, but God said, my presence shall go with you, so therefore you shall be separated from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And so separation is a word which simply means to withdraw or to unhook yourself from or to part company with. And the reason we do is because of the influence that God is giving in our life the way he's leading us, we can't go that way if we stay attached to the ways of the past. We can't do it. You can't walk with God and remain as you were. You can be religious. You can go to church. And you can sing in the choir. But you cannot live the life that God requires and that he leads us to and stay as you were. You know, one of the very provoking verses in Psalm 23 is he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake on account of who he is and what he has established in you and the purpose for which he has saved you, he is going to lead you in a right way. He didn't call you out of darkness to remain as you were and to be weak the rest of your life. He called you being weak and he's going to lead you in a way you've never been because his presence is with you. So we can add this to that. We are separated from all those that are on the face of the earth in order that we might be holy people, God-like people, the people of God, the people who bear his name and his spirit. There's a testimony that we should have to the world that goes with that. So we're not only called to quit wearing that, quit going there and quit dressing like that, quit watching that. We're not called just to separate and say, oh, I'm not doing that. I don't do it. We're called out of something in order to be something. There is a purpose for us being separated from the world. God did not call the world to bear his presence. God is not with everybody in the world. I hope you know that. I'm talking about his choosing. God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. 
If he wanted to make anybody his child, he can do that. He is able to save to the uttermost. But he saves, like he said, those whom the Father gives me, those are the ones I will keep. And not only will I keep them, but I will put my spirit in them, and I will lead them in a way everlasting. And at the end of this way, this journey that he puts us on, at the end of it, he will be able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He will do that because he has set himself to take those that he has chosen and to see to it that he leads them in the paths that are right. And the end of that right way is heaven. Heaven and his presence in glory forever and ever. Now I want you to look over in Leviticus. Go over a couple books to the right. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. One book to the right. Leviticus chapter 20. And look at verse 26. God says, And you shall be holy unto me. Does your Bible say that? Holy means pious. Dedicated, consecrated, and committed to God's way. God's life. God's system of living. All of that, that's what holiness is. It is a leading from a life of unholiness, self-centered life, unto a God-centered life in which your desire is to do the will of God. That's holiness. Now, when God calls you, by virtue of his associating himself with you, you are called saints. And as saints, he is making out of you what he wants. So we're not holy because we have arrived somewhere. We were holy because he called us. You have to realize that whom God called, he set apart unto holiness. Well, you are holy because he's with you. And he's not with you because you're holy or you're perfect or you've arrived somewhere. He is with you because he chose you. And because he chose you, and I'm going to say put his arm around you, and you are now his purchased possession, you're called holy, set apart unto God. And it's God who does a work in you that makes holiness come to the surface until at the end you really are living a holy life. So there's a purpose in everything about separation. There's a purpose in all these demands that God makes on us. There is a purpose in why we're wrestling with a lot of stuff that we hear. There's a reason for it. God is not going to leave his people alone. He's going to lead them in a right way. Pray that you're a part of that, because in verse 26, he said, You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people. The word severed means separated. I have separated or severed you from other people. That what? That you should be mine. We read that in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.15. He said, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy. You shall be pious. You shall be the kind of person that people feel uncomfortable around. You should be because of the nature of what's going on in your life. It is written, be holy. You see, we are severed. We are separated people because God wants to make holy people out of us. And the truth of it is, if you remain worldly, you can't be holy. They are diabolically opposed to each other. The world over here will make you worldly. You cannot add the world to God or God to the world. They just don't mix. You have to come out from among them. Would you turn back to that again? 2 Corinthians 6, would you go back to there so I can say a couple things about that? Now, you remember that we said last time that being separated from the world demands choices. You have to make some hard choices. You have to begin to identify things that are wrong, things that are unrighteous, things that are bad for you. You have to cleanse yourselves. In fact, if you look in chapter 7 to begin instead of chapter 6, we'll come back to chapter 6 in just one second. In chapter 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us do what? Take your time with this. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Was there filthy fleshly ways about us? How about lust? Lust is one of the most plaguing things in mankind at this present time. And lust is a major influence in many, if not most people's lives. 
while I'm talking. Pictures, porno, movies, secret things you do. Internet aging helps you do all of that easier. So there is what we call defiled flesh, unclean fleshly urges and desires that can be resisted, but they too often control. They maintain a certain sense of control over you, even though you're a Christian, keeping you constantly feeling bad about what you just did again and again and again. And it really prohibits you from living a pious life because of guilt. You cannot just be free to worship God because you're reminded of all the weaknesses you just encountered this week. Not overcoming. Just complaining about, I just can't, I'm telling you, it's just so hard. And it's just so, well, of course it's hard. The devil ran the show for how many years before you got saved? He made a fool out of us. That's his work. Make us dependent on somebody else. Make us be victims. It ain't my fault. It's just constantly doing something to alter you from the kind of person that God is going to make out of you to the kind of person the devil rules. Then God saves you like that. And all this stuff doesn't go away. It still comes knocking at your door. Always knocks at your door. The pictures, the movies, the commercials. Just nakedness everywhere. And either you're going to turn your head and shut your eyes and renounce that, or you're going to keep doing it and keep feeling guilty and keep being real quiet in church and not worshiping God, not reading steady because I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. God didn't save you to act like that. There's nothing holy about your lifestyle. There's nothing pious about living like that. We're not supposed to live being sorrowful. We're supposed to triumph daily in Christ. We're supposed to overcome we're supposed to resist the devil. We're supposed to. We've been severed from the world by virtue of being brought out of darkness into his marvelous light and set there. He has begun teaching us. This is what grace does. He's begun teaching us how we're supposed to live. In fact, again, in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh. And what's the other one? You mean there was a filthy spirit about us? Huh. So maybe Christians on occasion do need deliverance. Been spiritually defiled? Well, anyway, we have to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, and we don't have to run to somebody to do it because he said we can do this. We can cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. And then how's the end of that verse? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Remember what his... Commission was to his people when they went into Canaan's fair and happy, the promised land. Remember what he said to do? He said, I want you to cleanse the land. I want you to remove them all. He said to them, he said, these people in whose land that you're coming into, they shall not dwell in the land lest they make you sin against me. That's in Exodus 23. He said, they shall not remain in the land with you lest they make you sin against me. Now here's principle. Sin doesn't go away because it's always lying at your door. Remember that in Genesis 4, 7, sin lieth at the door? Always there. Never get away from it. Every day of your life, when you get up in the morning, sin is waiting on you like a lion crouched at your door. Sin. Waiting on you to wake up so it can pounce on you and start his routine again. But the Bible says you have to master it. You have to put it under your feet. You have to control it. Sin's desire is for you that it might corrupt you and taint you. And as a Christian, just may weaken you and keep you wallowing around in mediocrity of this world. I'm just can't. I'm trying. I go to church. I do better than most, but I just blah, 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 blah. Eventually, he knows that you'll just quit trying. You'll give up. Set yourself in some warm pew somewhere, make it through a sermon, and at least you went to church, and you got nothing out of it, you're going nowhere, no leading anywhere. You're just going to church. This is not the way it's supposed to be, is it? We're supposed to be a zealous people. The more we withdraw ourselves from the things that once held us back, the more free we are to do something else besides that, to worship God and to walk in the way that he's given us. 
Because he said, if you don't get rid of these things, you don't cleanse yourself from these things, he said, they will make you sin against me. And if you serve their gods, he said, I will judge you. The gods of this world are everywhere. You know what Psalm 106, 34 said? Listen to this. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their gods, which were a snare unto them. They served their systems. They were involved in their things and entertainments and ideas. They go to church. Yes, they go to church. They speak in something, tongues. But their lifestyle through the week is quite the difference. It's worldly. And he said, they become a snare to you. Folks, it is the reason why people don't get very zealous before the Lord or don't worship the Lord and don't have the zeal and the joy and the enthusiasm and don't witness to other people. It's because our lives are really not much different. They're too much alike. Oh, they know you go to church and everything and you go to that particular church, but when you're around them, you use the same kind of goofy words they use and and we goof off and act the same way. Yeah, and, and they know that deep inside, you're not much different than they are. You're not much different than they are. Somehow, I think we long for their fellowship more than we do God's presence. And so we kind of want them to think, hey, I'm all right. Yeah, I go to church. I'm kind of religious. But I'm not really weird. Look, I'm like a whole lot like you. <laughs> so we have to guard ourselves because the devil's a master deceiver, always subtle always working his angles to get you to fail or fall, you know, or be around the wrong crowd so much that, what's that phrase? Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. They no longer have put much meaning in your words because you're no different than they are. You're not much different than they are. And consequently, where we're going is not where we should be going. Now, we can because we can always repent. God can convict us and we can be restored. But notice again, Having therefore these promises, we got thousands of them, let us cleanse ourselves. Why? What's the end of the verse say? Why? Why do we, what's the purpose of cleansing? So that we might perfect holiness. It's a process. Yes, it was instant when God called you as far as identification, but living it, experiencing it is a process. The process doesn't go along if you don't come away. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you don't withdraw from the stuff that keeps you from being holy in order that you might be holy, that you'll never be any different than you were. Just have a mind full of scripture, but you're not really different. The reason we come out from places, come away from people, change our attitude, change our dress, change our routine, our style. The reason we change is because this is what God promotes. He wants us to be like him, not the world. He wants us to be holy. You'd have to go out of the world to get away from heathens or infidels. I sound like a Muslim word. Or unbelievers. You'd have to go out of the world. You work around them. You live around them. They're next door to you. But I'm just saying when it comes to your companions, what does he say in 1 Corinthians 15 about companions? Evil company does what? Corrupts you. Holds you back. Spoils you. Spots you contaminates you, keeps you guilty all the time, and thus weak. I don't know why I did that. I did it again and so forth. God has not called us, Paul wrote, God has not called us to uncleanness, but to obtain holiness. That's First Thessalonians 4. He's not called us to uncleanness, but to obtain holiness. Now, turn to Titus 2 so we can get started. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Now, remember we said earlier in our text, Exodus 33, remember we talked about if we have found grace in his sight. He said, you have found grace in my sight, therefore I will go with you. My presence is with you because you have found grace in my sight. So, Here's what grace is intended to do in our life in effecting this change and separation. Here's what grace does. He said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. 
teaching us. Did you know that grace comes with a message? That when God begins to reveal himself to you or makes you aware of himself, whether briefly in a Sunday school or your yearly visit to church at Christmas or Easter, there is a moment in which God is known, seen, or conceived, made aware of, people in church, it's God. And they begin to be aware of their guilt and their sinfulness. If only for a moment, it will come. The Bible says the grace of God that brings what he does, his salvation has appeared to all men everywhere, but when it comes, it teaches us. It illumines us. Grace and favor makes us aware of something besides ourselves and our life. It shows us something else. This is called favor, and this is called grace. And he says, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's Christianity, because that's what salvation is. When salvation is brought to God's people as an act of grace or favor from God to those it comes to, the effect is that you will live soberly, you will live righteously, and you'll live godly. Some commentators say that it has to do with how you live with yourself soberly, self-restraint before others in a right way and before God living godly. The word godliness means a right and true relationship with God. That's what godliness is. So the grace that brings salvation, you have found grace in my sight, then you've found a message because this is where the teaching is going to take place. Now, go back to 2 Corinthians 6 again. You probably still have your finger there, but in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, this is the classic verse about separation that a lot of people are aware of, and they should be. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness, the way God is leading us, with unrighteousness, people who don't want to go? What possible fellowship could you have? Or what communion does light have with darkness? Now, we're talking about opposites here. And we're told to be not unequally yoked. What is equally yoked? Is this two people who profess Christ? Is there such a thing in a church as having those who are and those who aren't? Could you have in a meeting like this those who are and those who aren't? Christian, say truly whatever they're supposed to be. Can wheat and tares grow together in the same place? In this scripture, he said, what communion can you have that is godly if you're unequally yoked? You can't keep your unbelieving friend around you if you talk to him about what's dear to you. Therefore, you appease his unbelieving conscience by saying things that he likes to hear and talking about subjects that he likes. But if you talk about what you really have in your heart, what you're supposed to have in your heart, he won't be around you much. And you esteem his friendship more than, again, the presence of God. This word yoked is often used with marriage. And we all know that believers shouldn't marry unbelievers and vice versa. Shouldn't be. But I'm saying that within a church, sometimes within the walls of the church, you have people that are on two different sides. You have wheat and tares again. There was a time back in the Reformation period that Arminians and Calvinists wouldn't mix. You know, Calvinists believe in the sovereignty of God and uh, Arminians, they more or less believe in the sovereignty of man. There are more Arminians today than by far than there are Calvinists because mostly the Arminians believe that you're born with a free will and with that free will, you are free to make a choice whether you want to accept Christ or not. You have that freedom to do that. The Calvinist says no such thing is possible. There's no such thing as you accepting the Lord. There's such a thing as God accepting you. But you can only receive the Lord in salvation when he opens your eyes to see it and he offers it to you. And until he does that, your will is bound to yourself and your flesh. And that argument still goes on today. 
But there are those who put such a premium on that kind of doctrine that they separate from each other. You can see in this community right here that we're in the separation that's taking place in the church. You got Methodists, Baptists, Church of God, Pentecostals, the Catholics. And because there's such distinct differences that they will not give in to, they want to have an ecumenical movement thinking that let's all the churches get together in the town for a common good. I've never been an ecumenist. I would never be good in all of that. They'll never make me the chairman of the ecumenical movement in Shelbyville. There's just some things that I hold dear to myself. And there's some things that I would have to say if I was around in a crowd that didn't want to say that. Who wants to be around a tongues talker? You would, maybe, wouldn't you? What if somebody was totally anti-tongues and said the tongues are the devil? Are you unequally yoked? You are. You absolutely are. And somebody said, these signs shall follow those that believe, and one of those signs are they'll cast out devils, they'll speak in tongues, and people are preaching against that. I have no connection with those people. Are we believing the same Lord? I don't know if we do or not. I hope we do. See how ugly this sounds? I hope it does. I don't avoid those people when I see them. I ran into, over in Indiana the other night, a guy, a Church of God preacher, they used to live above us in an apartment. His wife would always try to argue with me about tongues when he was at work, and she couldn't, didn't know enough about the Bible to do that. And she'd get real frustrated, and to this day, he has very little to say to me. I saw him the other night. We spoke briefly, but he was gone. Tongues. It's such an animosity towards that portion of the Scripture. I just don't want to hear that. It just irks me to hear about that stuff. And you think... Now, wait a minute. Before you get over-irked, Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe, and you must not, therefore, be a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, then I don't know what we're going to fellowship around. Maybe the word God. I'm just saying that we make distinctions. I do. I'm not asking you to. I'm not telling you that you should. I'm just saying that I do. Because there are some things in what I believe that it costs a lot to get here. I lost a lot of friends, a lot of friends on the way here. It's been a costly journey in the sense of that, but it's been a wonderful journey. I have chosen that my friends are you here. This is who I fellowship with. I'm around other people if they're Christian, but these are people I fellowship with. I just don't have much in common with a lot of religious people. I just don't. So I just avoid all of that. I'm not a mean, ugly person. At least I'm not mean. <laughs> I just know that what I gave up a long, long time ago, I cannot sit around and act like it's okay if you want to. That's all right. Yeah, you're going to do it. That's all right. It isn't all right. God holds us to a narrow line. And so when it says to me, unequally yoked, and I think of that phrase there, what fellowship does righteousness, a right way have with a way that's not right? Or what fellowship does man that's got some light have with somebody that doesn't want light? What fellowship do you have? You can be nice and friendly and kind, but as far as fellowship, it just goes on. Verse 15, and what concord or what union has Christ with Belial? Or what hath he that believeth with an infidel? Infidel means one who refuses to believe, has dismissed believing. A good guy, really funny, a lot of fun, maybe on TV all the time, but an infidel. I hope we don't derive much pleasure in our life from infidels. I hope we don't. Verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For he said, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, is that what he said? Now, what's the basis for all this happening? He said, look, you are the temple of God. You are the vessels, the human vessels that God has chosen to dwell in. Not in buildings made by hands, but human vessels. We are all individually a temple, a dwelling place of God. He lives in here. His nature is in here. His spirit is in here. He is in here. Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
Christ dwells in your hearts by faith. He's in there for a reason and for a purpose. Psalm 23, verse 3, again, he said he's leading us somewhere. Now, either we're going or we're not, but he's leading somebody. And he is going to do the work that he said that he is going to do in these physical human temples. Now, because of that, look at verse 17. Now, because of that, wherefore, remember he said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's uniqueness. Wherefore, because of that, come out from among them. Give you some bad English. Who is them? Who is them? Should be who are they? Okay, anyway, who is them? What does he mean by the word them? Well, it's a category. They're in darkness. They're unbelievers. Oh, they believe some things. You know, Jesus in, you know, the manger and the tomb and the water to wine. I mean, walking on the water. They believe some things, but they're unwilling to live it. They're unwilling to walk that way. So he said, you come out from among them and don't let yourself be drawn back into that kind of believing system because you like them and you don't want to offend them. No, he says, you come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And he said, I will receive you. Does your Bible say that? Let me read it. Don't believe it because I said this, but read verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, whoever you are, whatever age you are this morning. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What's unclean? That which has not been made clean. That which is tainted, spoiled, spotted. That which has not been rendered clean. It's still unclean. He said, you come out from among them. Well, it could be in the church. In the church, what if you have things in the church, in our body? Any body of believers, going back to what we said a while ago about wheat and tares and so forth, is there ever a time we separate from people in the church? Well, you sound like a bunch of mean and ugly spirited people here. Let me give you four verses of Scripture, just four. Bear with me, but do four. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Wherefore, he gives you something to do here. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself. Who is yourself? That's you. All right, now here's the choice you've got to make. This is when it gets uncomfortable. You withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which he received of us. Does your Bible say that? I haven't known many people who would do this. I've known some, but not a lot of people were willing to do this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to what? Godliness. He is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such what? From such withdraw yourself. That's not who you fellowship with in the church. Now, obviously, you speak to people. If you're bold enough, you say, brother, you shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't always want to argue whatever all these things were here. And then if they keep doing that, you just withdraw yourself from it. You cannot allow that for the sake of being a good brother and good friend and being loving. You cannot allow yourself to get drawn into fellowship with that because eventually you'll quit talking to him about why he shouldn't talk like that or she. Could be the way. And then next thing you know, you're going to deny the faith yourself. Well, so what? It's no big deal. Romans 16, 17, you don't have to turn to it. It says, but mark those that cause divisions. Mark them and avoid them. But there's one even worse than that back not only to sometimes in the church, but into the ecumenical. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5. 
having a farm. These are attitudes and the way it's going to be in the last days. This is one of the things that he talks about, the way you're going to see things in the last days when perilous times shall come. Perilous times are here. The world is fearful all over the world. Airports, people traveling, the designs of evil men to blow up and kill and maim and hurt and wound. It's now as I talk everywhere. It's not coming. It has arrived. And along with that, when it said when perilous times come, this comes too. All these things he mentioned about natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, so forth. Down to verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. They talk about the Lord, but they don't believe that God will do what he said he would do, or maybe that he even ever did it in the first place. But the Bible is a good moral code. We ought to talk about the Bible. We ought to preach the Bible. But as sensible people, we ought to realize that the Bible is outmoded, outdated, and obviously not accurate. Because we know the world is more than 7,000 years old. And that the Red Sea couldn't have opened and the Jordan couldn't have. These are myths made up to enhance the story that the peoples would follow. Now, if they talk like that, you need to escape. Because these simple stories that God gives us makes us look like fools in their eyes when we believe it. But they thinking themselves to be wise, they become fools. So he tells us here, he said, if they have a form of godliness, that cute young girl, that cute young boy has a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it, you better stay away from them because they'll drag you down. And a lot of people fall and fail because, oh, not me, I'm tough. Right. Can't even turn your eyes away from a bad commercial. You're really tough. This is the age that we're in. This is the day that we're in. More and more religious people, groups of religious people, are modifying their beliefs, giving people what they want and leaving out the power of it. Is casting out demons power? No church with any kind of notoriety would ever talk about that or tongues because these things are controversial and it might offend people. And we want people to be happy and comfortable. The Bible says from such withdraw yourself, turn away from, come out from among them and be separate from those people. Well, they believe in God. Of course they do. So does the devil. Devil believes in God. We're told to avoid people like that. If they don't want to behave in the church, we're told to withdraw ourselves. If they're troublemakers in the church, we're told to Stay away from them. In the church, happens all the time. How about those that belong to lodges? Secret orders, taking oaths to defend the lodge or whatever, the country club, whatever it was. Or the big office party, we're going to have a big party. And the boss has hired a, a girl to dance for us. Are you going? What are you doing there? Well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a witness to it. Right. While this girl comes out of a box, you're going to witness. Lady, you can't do that in Jesus' name. I rebuke you. Right. Right. How many people have friends on Facebook that are, have never been to church in their life? Why in the world would you want a friend to be an unbeliever and think it's not really counting because they're on your space, my space, somebody's space, somebody's face and space, Twitter face space. <laughs> They're in there somewhere. Listen to me. I know a lot of y'all do that. Do you really think, do you really think that it's okay to engage in worldly conversations about worldly things with people who are not Christians? Occasionally you do. You help somebody on the side of the road. You're eating dinner and you talk to somebody. You talk about a lot of things. I do that myself. But when it comes to who I'm going to run around with, can't do that. I was in a hunting camp once out in Idaho years ago, back in the mid-90s. And I knew right away at the first night we met in the big mess hall, the big cook tent to eat, I knew right away this is going to be a long week because of the language 
And, you know, everybody likes to talk ugly and vile, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, what am I doing here? I am slow to learn. And then they finally found out after two or three days. So uh, what do you do? Oh, well, here we go. How do I do this? I said, well, I pastor a church. <laughs> and it's like another guy said in another place one time, he said, why didn't you tell us we wouldn't have talked like we did? I said, just be yourself. And they didn't get that either. But then they kind of quit talking like that after it was over. I didn't tell them to. I just simply... I didn't join in the jokes. I didn't laugh at anything they said. I ate my food and got out of the tent. Like I was, you know, he's kind of strange, isn't he? He's more than strange. More than that. But what kind of fellowship do we have with things that are not clean? Who is our passel of friends? Who is it that we run to and talk to? And who can we go to that can pray with us about things that we believe? We have to make a decision. I'm going to say this again for the 10th time. If you want to live the way God wants you to live, you're going to have to get away from people who don't. Is that all right? If you want to live the way God wants you to live, you're going to have to withdraw yourself from people who don't. And if people don't want to live that way, then I don't hang around them. You can if you want to, but you won't like the messages. See, if you want God to go with us, you have to be willing to separate yourself. Y'all remember the books of Ezra and Nehemiah? That when Ezra went back to rebuild the temple, that a group came to him in chapter 4. The Bible called them the inhabitants of the land back in Israel. And they wanted to help Ezra and the folks who came back from the captivity. They were commissioned to build a temple. Well, they were starting to build a temple. Well, the people in the land there, the inhabitants of the land found out they were. And they said, hey, we want to help you. We want to help you build a temple. And Ezra said, no, you have no part in this. We don't want you to help us do anything about this building. And they were greatly offended by it. You see, whenever Nebuchadnezzar carried off Israel, took them to Babylon, he left the poor and the weak there, Jewish people, who were never going to be able to rise up and do anything about another problem. So they were innocent. Plus, Nebuchadnezzar probably took some other lands that he conquered and took a group of people there that he conquered and put them in Israel and said, you live here. And so they begin to mingle. And you mingle these colonists, whoever these other people were, with the resident Jewish people. They begin to intermarry and to mingle. They became what is known today as Samaritans. They call them a mixed breed or a mongrel race. These Samaritans not only adapted to the customs of the heathen, but because things weren't going well, Nebuchadnezzar had a priest sent back there. The lions were invading the streets and causing a lot of trouble. And they said, well, it's because we've taken away their God's teaching. So he said, we'll send a priest back there. So they sent a priest back there to begin teaching. So these Samaritans begin to learn about the God of Israel, but they also practiced the ways of the heathen. So they established their own little religious thing. So whenever Ezra and Nehemiah came back there, and these folks said, we want to help you. And he said, you're not going to help us do anything. Not you, not the bank, not anybody else. This is none of your business. This is between us, and the only one's going to get the glory from it is God. What did I say, bank? I didn't, anyway, and so that's where we're going to do it. Can you all find Ezra? I want to show you something that's happened in Ezra chapter 10. Boy, and a lot of people ain't going to like this either, but I'm sorry. In Ezra chapter 10, in verse 3, Ezra has prayed, confessed, and wept before the house of God. The people were very, very solemn and sad. They said in verse 2, we have trespassed against our God. We have taken strange wives. Uh-oh. Strange wives, meaning the wives of this mixed race of people here. She was cute. But said they have taken wives of the people of the land. Verse 3, now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away what? All the wives and who else? Who? 
All the wise and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord. Wow. Verse 19. And they gave their hands that they would put away their wives and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespass. Now what did they do? They had come back these people had mingled with the people that came back from captivity while they were working on this. It took a while. They began to notice some of these other people become friendly with them and friendly enough that they married some of their girls and married long enough for their boys and they had children. And Ezra and Nehemiah comes along and says, not around here, you kid. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in God's people, you got to get rid of those women and their children. Your wives and your children, they can't be a part of us. It's pretty tight, isn't it? It's pretty tight, but that's the way it was. There's a picture here that God shows us about just how costly this is. And if you go over to Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1 and 2. Now the 24th day of the month, children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloth and earth upon them, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. They separated themselves from all Strangers. They had nothing to do with this. Chapter 13, verse 3, he said, It came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel and all the mixed multitude. You can't have them both. You can't compromise that. This is just what it says in the Bible that if we're going to come back and be the people of God, it has to be a pure heart, intention, and life. And anything that's not as it should be, you have to get rid of it. Separate yourself from it. In other words, you can't hold on to these foreign wives and hold on to God and be a part of the nation. Whew. That's pretty strong. But that's separation. Let me tell you a good part about separation. In Psalms 1, blessed is the man. You want to be blessed? Blessed is the man that walketh not. Is that separation? Nor standeth. Is that separation? Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, the good old boys, the gobs, or the good old girls, the gogs. Gog and gob. They refuse to sit with them. They refuse to stand in the way of sinners and scorners. You wouldn't do it. And the Bible said, because they were willing to separate, he shall be. He should be like a tree planted by the water, roots down into the river. It'll always bear fruit and the leaves will always be green. And then adds this to it. I hope you want this. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know why you prosper? You know why God blesses you like that? Because you made a decision to separate. You're so focused on God and what would please him, you become aware of what he doesn't want and what would offend him. And not wanting to offend God, you begin to separate yourself from anything that would offend him. You just don't want to have anything to do with it. And it gets this narrow in the little book of 2 John, verses 9 and 10. If any man comes to you and has not the doctrine of Christ, does not have the teachings of Jesus, like Mark 16 is one of them. Or doesn't believe in the virgin birth. Doesn't believe in miracles. Doesn't believe in the coming of the Lord. Doesn't believe the scripture is accurate. Doesn't believe. But is a good guy and has a religious flavor to his life. The Bible said don't even receive him into your house. You cannot allow that kind of influence because they will cause you to rethink what you believe in such a way that you might not even be sure anymore that you really believe that. And while I'm talking here today, there are people that I knew 30 years ago that are not sure today if what they heard back then is really true or not. They're not sure they heard it right. 35 years ago, now they're thinking today, you know, I don't know what happened. Well, God knows, and then he'll show them. He would have if they would have asked. They probably won't ask, so they're going to live in that haze. But as far as I'm concerned, you just live one day at a time. You make distinctions between what is right and wrong. 
Or as he said in Ezekiel 22, trouble is coming on this nation because the priests have violated my law. They have made no difference between the clean and the unclean. They have profaned my word amongst the people. And the people have become people that have to be judged. God said, if I could find one man in this whole bunch, I'd spare the lamb, but I couldn't find one. They're all gone astray. Because the teaching led them to think it's okay to be, be yourself. Just be loving and so forth. You can do this. You can do that. You can act this way. Wear that. Go there. Talk like that. Twitter, talk like that. Come on. And it's not all right. I'll tell you all something tonight, folks. Somebody's keeping records today. Records are being kept today about all of us, me and you and all of us, so that nobody escapes anything. And I just pray that we will all take to heart what God is saying to us. I want to close with this. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, and those three things are major today, major. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints or holy ones. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks, being thankful. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And concerning those people that I heard a major gospel group said many years ago, describing his behavior with all the ladies in all the towns they would go to. He said, you know, my spirit is willing, my heart's right, my flesh is weak. And therefore he was excused from not continuing on. And the Bible says, while you may think you're going to heaven, somebody told you that that won't keep you out of heaven. He said here, he hath no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, for those who teach otherwise, listen to this. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of what? Of disobedience. Peter wrote this. He said, the time has come that judgment will come on the earth, and it will begin with the house of God. And he said, and if it begins first with us, and he goes on to say, what will happen to those that obey not the gospel? Man. But he said, again in verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Come out. For you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children. You've been separated from them so you can live right. Verse 10, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather do what? But rather reprove them. Whether that's in the church or out of the church. We have a mission being in this world. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. We are called to represent him, to live like redeemed rescued, saved people. Like a light, our life should be a shining light that where people once knew us to be this way, they're now seeing us this way. And while they know we're not exactly perfect, they know we're not like we used to be either because we're trying now. We're trying now. And God knows that in our struggle, he's going to bring forth something. It's not easy life. It is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. It is with difficulty that they're saved. He said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Think about everything out there in the world that wants you. Think about all the stuff, the ways, the cool thing fun things that wants to draw you into its arena. Yet, that's okay. God knows you love him. It's all right. Then you get out here and you start running with the wrong kind of boy or girl or places. 
You start drinking a little bit of cool stuff when you get together. You watch a little something you shouldn't watch. A guy told me the other day, he went on a trip with some guys. They went hunting somewhere. He said, every one of these other guys he was with had a porno picture in their wallet. Every one of them. They're all married and had porno. That's all they talked about. One of them brought a magazine. They're eat up and consumed with it. They're consumed with it. It's just the devil is making these people dance in a frenzy to this world's tune. And you have God to turn away from all of that. Because it's poison. You've got to turn away from it. You've got to be separate. You've got to challenge yourself and command yourself. Do not look. Let me ask you three questions. Who are your friends in this church? Who are your friends? Who do you enjoy talking to the most? I don't mean you talk about God all the time. It's good that if you would, but Sometimes there's other things in the world, uh, how to fix a car maybe, or how to deal with one of your children or something. But who are your friends? Who is it that you're calling your friends that you really can confide in, you can trust, they won't hurt you, and they'll give you good advice, and they'll love you? And then secondly, because everybody does, it seems, what is the music you listen to? What music do you listen to? Is it that nasal music? What kind of music? Nasal. I got the hungries for you, love. That? <laughs> About some old angel came in my room or some, they're selling our memories at the sidewalk or something. That really enhances a holy life. That really encourages you to think about God. Or do you listen to Christian music? I don't know. But I could tell you this. If everybody give me the keys to their car, all you young folks, maybe older too, me go out there and give me a couple hours and turn on everybody's radio and see what channels you got plugged in. I could tell you a little bit about how you're doing. Okay, okay, I'm not going to do that. And thirdly, because it's going to happen quite frequently here just shortly, what's your qualifications for marriage, young folks? What's she going to have to be like? What's he going to have to be like? Is it just cute or pretty? Or is it more than that? What are you going to hold yourself to when it comes to entering into that very serious stage in your life? The second biggest decision you'll ever make is who you marry. The first one is getting saved. After that is who you're going to wake up to every day. I don't mean W-H-A-S either. I mean every day. It better be somebody that you can love your whole life. You better be somebody that loves you back. It's better be that. But now's the time to start thinking about it. I don't know what your lines are and how narrow they are, but it better be somebody who is coming away from the world like I am because otherwise I'm going to get drawn back into it. See, you've got to give some thought to that. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would lean upon us daily to teach us what it means to be separate, to make good decisions every day. Yes, to be a good citizen and to be able to carry on the conversation with whoever, wherever we are. Lord, we know that Jesus ate with heathens, that he went places where the Pharisees criticized him, but Lord, his companions were the 12. Help us to be and to do what you want us to do. And Lord, that would mean to be holy people. Give us the courage to do that. I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, 
Hallelujah. Well, I have too. I hope all of us have. Amen.